Uh, we had some time off as a family in July, and uh, during that time, I got to do some things that I don't normally get to do, and one of them was uh, I got to cook a few meals, uh, and I am not by any stretch of the imagination uh, very good in the kitchen. Uh, my kids will always ask if I get up on Saturday morning and make eggs for everybody. Okay, Dad, what did you put in them this time? You know, because I like to experiment. And Cindy's got this little lazy Susan of spices that's it's the coolest thing in the world. And you just like the different smells and tastes. And so you just kind of add and mix and you get really interesting things. Uh, but I, I like to, to cook occasionally. And so I did a couple of dinners during the month of July. And, and one dinner I prepared, I had gone and I think I went to Schnooks and got the chicken that was already marinated, so you didn't really have to do anything with it, and got the salad that was already in the bag, so you didn't have to mix it, and so you can see where my cooking goes. But I worked kind of hard on this meal and got it ready, and uh, with Cindy and Jordan and Katie and I, we sat down and we started eating and talking. I noticed Jordan wasn't eating very much. Now, if you've ever met Jordan, you know he's about 6'3 and, and weighs in right about 200 pounds. He's a big boy, and he likes to eat. Uh, and this wasn't an odd meal, and this wasn't anything that I destroyed by adding extra spices. And so he's, he's just kind of picking at it. And I said, Jordan, what, what's the deal? Are you, are you not hungry? He said, no, I'm not real hungry. I said, well, you just came from playing an hour and a half of hockey. How can you not be hungry? And I was sure, you know, I got a little bit extra chicken because I was sure you're going to be starving when you got home. And then it dawned on me. I said, did you stop someplace between the rink and the house? Yeah, I, I stopped off. Well, where'd you stop off? Well, uh, we were playing out in Fenton, and I drove right by the Krispy Kreme, and the hot donut flash sign was flashing. How many donuts did you have? Well, yeah, somewhere between three and seven donuts. Um, <laughs> now, if you're a 17-year-old, that makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> you're hungry. There's the flashing hot donut sign, and you go, and you take care of your hunger. <laughs> Children are childish. That, that's part of growing up. Uh, they have not experienced all of life. And so there, there's an immaturity, and I don't say that in a negative way to insult any of our children this morning. It's simply part of life's experiences and growing and learning. And as parents, it's our responsibility to nurture, uh, to encourage, to correct, to give guidance, to teach, and, and to give unconditional love to our children as we, as we bring them along, so to speak. Last week, we introduced the topic of prayer, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and this week, we're going to follow it up with uh, not looking so much at the how of prayer as much as the attitude of prayer, because I'm convinced that the prayer life of a disciple of Jesus uh, runs the risk of being short-sighted, as children can sometimes be short-sighted. If we're not careful, we will find that our, our prayers are pretty much a laundry list of what we demand that God will do. If we, if we don't give heed to what Scripture says about prayer and how God established us for our well-being, we can become self-centered and self-absorbed. In short, we can be immature in our prayer life. It can be uh, the Krispy Kreme donut sign is flashing, and God, here's what I want, and I want it right now, and I want you to, uh, to meet my needs. Jesus has offered us in this passage uh, a twofold direction for our prayer lives. Uh, the first part of it, as I mentioned before, is kind of the how-to. And last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and we studied those things. If you didn't, weren't here last Sunday and you'd like to listen to it, you can grab a CD on the table, you can go to our website, and you can download the, the podcast and listen to it. Things If you didn't, weren't here last Sunday and you'd like to think about when we pray, what's our motive behind our prayer? How are we uh, engaging with God? And I believe through this passage, we're going to see a deeper insight into our Heavenly Father's character, to our Heavenly Father's priorities, and that will, that will teach us about what our attitude should be uh, as we go to prayer. 
So with that in mind, Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to read off the screen, verses 5 through 13. Uh, we're using the New Living Translation this morning because I think it'll be just a little bit uh, easier for our, for our kids to pick up on. Hear the word of God. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story, he being Jesus. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, I thank you this morning that uh, we can study your word. We can sing your praises. I thank you. Andy and Sam and Eli reminded us at the outset of uh, our time together, uh, that your love endures forever. Uh, The one who is the creator is also the one who loves us, the one who is in heaven, who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-seeing, the one who has no beginning and has no end, the almighty God knows each person in this room and offers unconditional love to all who call on him. So we call on you this morning, Lord, and we pray that you would teach us uh, from our young children to, to the oldest one in this room, Lord, we all need to know the truth of your gospel. So I thank you that our children are with us. I thank you that, that their presence has reminded me this week of how important it is uh, to speak plainly and to speak truly your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that through me because what I have to say isn't important. It's only what Jesus wants to say that carries eternal weight. So Lord, say that carries eternal weight, eternal weight. So Lord, please teach us this morning. We pray in your name, amen. We're going to break this uh, passage down into three sections, verses 5 through 8, then verses 9 and 10, and then verses 11 through 13, uh, because Jesus uh, uses those three paragraphs, so to speak, to make his point about our attitude in prayer. Uh, and the first thing he does is he just gives us a story out of everyday life. And, and who hasn't been there? You have a man who has a friend who uh, t- comes into town at midnight and he needs something from him. Let's, uh, let's go to that first section of verses. It says, uh, he's teaching them more about prayer. Jesus uses a story. So he's just going to kind of give us an everyday story that helps us understand about our relationship and speaking with him. And he goes on to say this. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, three loaves of, uh, the question would be, why do you want to borrow the bread at, at midnight? Why is it now just dawning on you? And Jesus says, well, suppose uh, that you went there. Why? Because a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Now, all of us have maybe been in this kind of situation where we've showed up at somebody's house or somebody's arrived at our house and, and we want to give them something and we haven't been to the grocery store today. 
This story is no different. The people in Jesus' day, uh, they would get up early in the morning. Uh, typically, the, the, the mom in the house or the wife in the house would get up early in the morning. She would bake the bread, and they would bake enough bread for that day. Well, if you're not expecting company that night, you just bake enough for dinner. And that's kind of the, the pickle they were in, so to speak, is they had, they had consumed all of their bread, and now they have a guest show up at their house. Now, in the community where Jesus lived in in his country, hospitality was like the most important thing you could ever do in your life. If someone showed up at your house and they were coming into your home, you were morally obligated. You had to take care of them. You were duty-bound to make sure that they were provided for. And so here comes this late-arriving guest, and and the the man in this house doesn't have any bread to set before him, but he's not going to let them stop him. And so he goes to his, to his buddy's house. He goes to his friend's house, probably next door. They've probably lived in the same neighborhood for years. They've known each other for a long time. And he starts pounding on the door. And he calls out, and the friend looks out, says, don't bother me. <laughs> Leave me alone. My kids are here with me in the bed. Door's locked. We're all in bed. I can't help you. We've probably had that experience too. Have you ever gone to somebody for a favor and said, boy, I really, you know, I showed up here at lunch and I forgot my wallet and I need a couple bucks and could you borrow a couple bucks? And your friend goes, yeah, I just can't do it. I don't, you know, I don't have it right now. Or, or, or maybe they're, they're not willing to share with you. Perhaps you've asked somebody, uh, you know, for help for your homework assignment. And they say, ah, I'm too busy. I don't have time. But this guy isn't going to be turned away. This is the best part of the story. See, as he continues to keep knocking. And Jesus says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless shameless persistence. That's just a way of saying he's going to give it to you because you keep knocking and you won't leave him alone. You're persistent. You stay after it. You, You won't let it go until you get the answer you want. Now, the, the question I, I would ask here is, does this describe my prayer life? Does this describe how I go before God? Am I shamelessly persistent? Uh, am I uh, of the attitude, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stay after this. I, I won't be refused, so to speak. Does this, uh, do I see myself as the man knocking on the door saying, Lord, I, I need to ask you for this? Now, I want you to notice a a small nuance here that we skip over pretty quickly, and I think actually it it holds one of the keys to understanding this passage. Why is this man knocking on the door? He's knocking on the door because he wants to help his friend. He's not knocking on the door because he needs something for himself, but rather he's looking to provide for someone else. And so as I examine my prayer life, I've got to ask this question. Is one of the the chief ingredients of my prayer life a concern for others? I can't uh, tell you that I've ever had this experience in in our house. I don't don't know that I've ever, uh, when the kids were growing up, I don't think Nathan ever came to me and said, Dad, you just, whatever you do, Dad, you just have to let me clean Katie's room. You've just got to promise me that you'll let me get up there because it's a mess, and and I just want to do that for her. You know, I can't ever remember uh, a time when Katie said, you know, Dad, I've got so much to do, but please, please, please don't let me do myself because I, I really want to help Jordan with his homework. I can't remember Jordan ever saying, you know, let's give somebody else that dessert. Uh, they, they, really, they really deserve it. Dad, you've worked hard today. You have that, that extra. Please don't, don't let me have it. Give it to yourself. <laughs> and as I kind of poke fun at my children, I think, well, I wonder why they don't talk that way. I wonder why they don't ask for those opportunities. Could it be that they're way too much like their father? 
Where are my goals? Where are my priorities in prayer? I believe that a a maturing disciple of Jesus, uh, one who is growing in Christ, will understand that a very important piece of their prayer life, according to the Lord Jesus, not, not according to me, not according to you, but according to the Lord Jesus, part of our prayer life must be defined by a care for others. I come before the Lord and I'm, and I'm praying for you and I'm praying for my family members and I'm praying that God would do his work in people's lives. Well, I think if we're going to be persistent, to use that big word that, that's in the Bible, that, that stay with it, hang in there and don't quit, so to speak, I think if we're going to be persistent, I think persistence needs a promise and that's where verses nine and 10 come in. So Jesus says, Uh, This He says, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. So Jesus promises that we, or he calls us to, to do this. And then he makes a promise for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking keep on knocking. The, the language there in the, the original text is the, is the idea of you, you do it one time and then you keep on doing it and you don't stop on doing it. It just kind of keeps going on and on and on. In other words, it becomes a way of life. You don't pray once or twice and then say, well, I've prayed. Now I'm done with that part of my, my faith in God. Now what's the next thing I'm supposed to do? But prayer is something that is ongoing, that is daily, that is actually moment by moment in each day of our lives. And so uh, one of the questions, again, I need to ask myself is, do I come to prayer with that attitude? Or do I get up in the morning and say, okay, I got to do my two or three minutes of prayer. And I'm going to have a little two-minute read of Scripture and a couple minutes of prayer. Now I've done my duty, and I'm off with what's now really important. Jesus says, no. <laughs> what's really important is that you continue on in asking and seeking and knocking. And I find it interesting that that the words that he used go from uh, from uh, engaged to uh, aggressive, so to speak. Uh, I can ask you for something, but if I'm pounding on your door, that's, that's a pretty serious ask. And so Jesus kind of covers all the gamuts of our emotions. There are times when you ask, you know, Lord, I, I really would like to see this. There are times when you seek, you know, Father, what's going on? I, I don't understand. Why is this happening? And there are times where you're pounding on the door. God, please open this door. I can tell you from personal experience that I prayed for almost 35 years for my own dad to become a Christian. I think it's so cool that Andy can tell the story about his boys coming to faith because that wasn't my experience growing up. My dad wasn't a believer when I grew up. And I get this ask, seek, and knock. I remember from very early uh, when I became a Christian at about five years of age, I remember praying because my dad didn't go to church with us. He didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I remember asking God. I remember times of seeking and going, God, why? <laughs> what is it? What am I missing? As I, as I got into my teenage years and, and in my 20s and into my 30s, and I, as I matured in my own faith, I'm like, God, I just don't get this. But I kept seeking, and, and, and I got to the point where I was pounding. You know, God, please don't let my dad pass away before he comes to faith. 35 years of asking and seeking and knocking. It seems to me that that kind of persistence needs a promise. And Jesus says, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, I want you to be assured that it will be answered. Now, in the context of this, I think it's crucial that we remember uh, the how we are to pray. In other words, I think it's crucial that we remember that all of this passage is in the context of the Lord's Prayer. So my prayer life needs to be defined by the ingredients of the Lord's Prayer. 
Jesus isn't promising me that if I, that if I pray for uh, a Mercedes-Benz that when I walk out the door this morning, the keys are going to be sitting there and the new car is right there. It's not talking about a self-centered absorption. He's talking about a prayer life that reflects the priorities of God, that, that look at what he believes to be key. So when I, when I pray, I need to remember the how. Am I, am I praying uh, that God's glory, well, you know, you, uh, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do I pray for God's glory? Do I pray your kingdom come? Do I pray for, for daily sustenance to have the strength to serve? Do I pray for a forgiving heart with persistence? Do I pray that, that I will daily withstand temptation and I won't go away until the Lord answers that prayer? If we pray in those ways, Jesus says that I give you a promise that you will be answered, that you will find what you're looking for and that the door will be open, will be open. According to scripture, if I do trust God, how do I know that these requests will be answered? Can I trust Jesus's promise? And that's an important question to ask. There are people in your life that you can, you can trust implicitly. I mean, you just, you've gotten to know them. Maybe they're a family member or a friend, uh, and, and you know you can trust them. I was talking about a friend of mine the other day to another person, and I was talking about my friend's character, and I said, I would give that man my wallet. Now, there ain't a whole lot in my wallet, but I would give it to him, and I would know that when I got it back... <laughs> Everything that I gave him would, would be there. I knew that I could trust him. That's the kind of character he has. Does Jesus have that kind of character? Can we trust him? And I think that's where as Jesus tells the story about the man knocking and then offers us the promise. And I think he, he gives us the, the understanding of why we can trust this promise. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. He gives another example out of daily life. He says, okay, you dads, I want to talk to you for a minute. You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. Let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus goes to the absurd in this conversation. Notice that Jesus understands that we're flawed and sinful. He says that you who are you sinful people who know how to give good gifts to your children. He understands that, that we don't always get it right. He understands that, that moms and dads don't always love their kids in a perfect way. I know you kids are probably surprised to hear that your parents aren't perfect all the time. The older you get, the more you'll come to understand that, and the more you'll share your understanding of that with us. <laughs> but Jesus uses, uh, he goes to the absurd to make this example. There's no way when a father has asked for a fish, or an egg, the end result of that is not going to be snakes and scorpions. You know, as much as I like to experiment with cooking every once in a while, I don't have a snake on the table when we sit down to eat. That's insane. And that's Jesus's point. Parents want to care for their children. I remember when we had first moved back to St. Louis uh, and Katie was pretty young, a bird got in our house. Um, And birds are delightful when they're in trees. (laughs) And, and, and ducks are delightful when they're out on the pond paddling around or they're fly geese flying way overhead. But you don't want a bird in your house. I mean, that's just not something that you get real excited about. And Katie is, you know, she just is, is so uh, loving and caring. His mom, please uh, take care of the bird. Don't hurt the bird. Uh, make sure that, that the bird's okay, even while the bird is flying around and, and, you know, scratching up our paint and banging into glass. And so we had to put Katie in the bedroom while we, while we very gently removed the bird from the house. Katie came out of her bedroom. Is the bird gone? Yes, the bird is gone. Is the bird safe? As far as we know, Katie, the bird is very safe. But in that situation, 
Cindy couldn't look out for the well-being of the bird and look out for the well-being of Katie at the same time. She had to pick one or the other. So she picked her daughter, right? That only makes sense. The point that Jesus is about to make is that if you guys get it, (laughs) as flawed as you are, don't you think your heavenly father who is perfect understands what you need? So if you sinful people, verse 13, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Your heavenly father is perfect. His motives are always pure. His heart is always for his children, for their growth and for their nurture. You're not coming to a sleeping neighbor who doesn't want to be bothered with you. The man in the story inside the house is not a picture of God. He's a picture of the opposite of God. So you're not coming to a sleeping neighbor who doesn't want to be bothered, nor are you coming to imperfect human parents. Rather, you're coming to a heavenly father who is ready and willing and able to provide what is best for his children. And the very best thing God can give you, according to Jesus, is he can give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. I spend my time praying for circumstances, and God says, pray for character. I spend my time praying for, for the issues of my life, and God says, pray for the wisdom and the discernment to endure and to honor me right where you are today. And when I pray that way, the Holy Spirit controls my life. He takes over, and he changes me from the inside out. I may be praying for health, or I may be praying for a certain job situation, or I might be praying that my fourth-hour chemistry test is postponed on Tuesday. <laughs> and Jesus says, I, I know about those things. They're not lost on me, but child, let's get focused and let's talk about what's really most important. What's most important is that which I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the ability and the understanding to be able to follow me and to trust me and to love me. And so God gives us the one that empowers us to follow Jesus. He gives us the one that equips the disciples with the gifts that they need to grow in Christ and care for others. Remember the man in the story, his whole motivation was to care for his neighborhood, his friend who had come to visit. God gives us through the spirit, the ability to want to care for others and to have that start in our prayer lives. I got to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't like spending a lot of time by myself. <laughs> you maybe tell them a little bit ADD. <laughs> I like to be around a whole bunch of people. <laughs> I like, I like when the party's going. You know, if I go into, I go into to the office on certain days of the week, we all have kind of different days off. And there's a couple of Thursday mornings, especially, it's pretty quiet at our office. And after a while, I'm kind of getting fidgety and, and you know, kind of wanting to, to be around folks. So for me to spend time in prayer for long, long amounts of time, to, for prayer to be something that molds and shapes my, my, my life is not an easy thing. But when I submit myself to my father, when I, when I understand that all I, I really want to do is follow Christ, then I see the connection. And I see that my father truly does want to give me a good and a perfect gift. He wants to change and shape my heart. So my heart longs to honor him and it longs to care for others. And so the question this morning, uh, as we begin to wrap up here is, how does my prayer life reflect the attitude in this story? Do I get after it? Am, Am I willing to go and pound on that door? and be persistent in my prayer life with God? Am I willing to trust that God is a good God? Some of our circumstances don't seem to point to that. 
Some of our circumstances seem to, seem to point to the fact that God is distant and he's busy or he doesn't care or worse, he's actually out to get us. Sometimes our circumstances look very, very bleak. And yet in those moments, am I growing in my faith to know that I can trust him because he's building his character in my life and he's giving me what I really need, not necessarily what I really want. See, when I prepared that meal for Jordan, as, as much of an amateur as I am, I prepared what he needed. He ate what he wanted and the end result wasn't that good for him. He didn't, you know, he didn't get sick or anything, but nutritionally speaking, uh, he wasn't better off. He felt better. Sugar high is a great thing. <laughs> Trust me, been there. <laughs> Love that snicker bar in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> but he wasn't better off for it. Are we willing to submit our will to his and make our prayer lives reflect that we want to honor him and we want to care for others? One last story. Probably most of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, came out, I think, in 81 or 82, story about Eric Little, the great uh, Scottish runner who uh, won uh, the gold medal in 1924. After refusing to run the 100-meter, because it was on Sunday, he ran the 400-meter uh, and actually set a record that stood for, I think, about 30 years uh, past then. Uh, if you go back and you look at Eric Little's, um, some of the things that he wrote, uh, you look at his prayer journal and some of the things that he said over and over again, one of the phrases that you see uh, is this, let me make a difference. Let me make a difference. Eric grew up in the mission field. He grew up actually in China. And what's interesting is you go back and you look at some of the Olympic materials uh, that the Chinese produced, not that other countries produced, but that the Chinese produced. Eric Little was born in China and he died died in China in 1945 at the hands of the Japanese uh, in in a prisoner camp. But they list Eric Little as one of their first Olympic champions. I find that fascinating. But Eric Little said, Lord, let me make a difference. Let me touch someone. As I said, he died at the age of 43 in an obscure camp in northern China, caring for the people who had been interned there by the Japanese. But I think about that prayer, Lord, let me make a difference. Now I fast forward 50-something years, I guess, to summer of 2008. And here on NBC, there's a special... uh, There's this gal, I can't remember her name, the reporter was went around and did all the human interest stories in China. And what's one of the key stories she does? Let me tell you about Eric Little. God's, Eric Little died in obscurity. He maybe died saying, Lord, I don't really feel like I made a difference. And yet, I don't know how many millions of people the other day heard his story. I wonder if, if he would have said his prayer was answered. Are we willing to pray? And then are we willing to pray with persistence? And then are we willing to pray with trust? allowing his will to be done. Amen. Let's pray.